1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, tonight we'll be doing communion as well too, so it'll be a shorter service on my side. Um, and then we will have um, a song to bring it up, then we'll do the elements, or we'll talk about it, and then we'll have a couple songs at the end for you guys to be able to do the elements on your own. But then also my desire tonight is for you guys to have an opportunity just to worship and just to come before the throne. And if there's things that you need to talk to the Lord about, um, this would be the night for that. Um, and hopefully it kind of ties into what we're talking about as well this evening. And, um, and so that's, that's my prayer and my desire um, for the service as well. So um, chapter two, verse, starting in verse four, it goes on and Peter speaking, it says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father, we thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for those that have made it out this evening for this Bible study. Those that are online listening to it, those that will be online listening to it in the weeks to come. But God, that you are there with them no matter where we are. And Father, right now, I just pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts, Lord. That God, that you would allow us to understand what these verses mean to us personally. That again, that you would speak to us and reassure us of the relationship that we have with you. Lord, reassure us of the love that you have for us, how you care for us, that you desire our relationship to even be stronger than what it is today with you. I pray for the speaker tonight that he would help me to have your words and not my own, and that I would just rely completely on the Holy Spirit to bring the word that you have designed for tonight. And we ask this in your name, amen. We learned so far, coming back to where we've started so far the last three weeks. Again, this is the fourth week. I've been blessed with the opportunity to be able to teach for you guys. Uh, we learned about Peter and we learned about his life. And we talked about that in great depth about the, the good things that Peter did, maybe the kind of shaky things that P Peter did, the things that he wished he could go back and, and change. But more importantly, we talked about the restoration and his relationship with the Lord and how the Lord then used that, used this man to be able to be one of the foundations of the church that Christ has. We talked about salvation. We understand now why we need salvation, that we're all sinners, that we had a debt that needed to be paid and that we have Jesus Christ was the one who was the redeemer for us. It wasn't just a salvation, that he was a savior, that he redeemed us, that his blood was what was needed to be able to meet that debt that we could not pay despite how much money you may or may not have. Last week, we talked about be ye holy, to be holy. And what does that mean to be holy? Does it mean that you're perfect and that you never sin? It doesn't mean that at all. 
Again, one of my favorite topics is sanctification. It is the fact that the Holy Spirit just continues to work in us and, and perfect us and, and, and fix those little things that we continue to do that maybe are, are wrong. Maybe they're sinful. Maybe there's just things that you don't even realize that the Lord just sees within your life and he continues to, to pick those things and to try to correct those things within you. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's you, know, you fill in the blank of whatever that it might be in your life. What he does is he allows us to be able to, to work into us. And then the desire then is that we would then take this love to others that God has given us and to then love our neighbor. And then he talked about in first one about different things that we should rid ourselves of, that we should rid ourselves of, of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Again, if you're a Christian tonight and you have the Holy Spirit that's within inside of you, those things are not the fruit of the Spirit. It's actually contrary to it. It's the fruit of the flesh. As you just continue to worry about yourself and how can I just continue to move on in my life and better myself and pull other people down so that I can build myself up, well, that's not what a Christian does. You can't be a servant and then still trying to pull everybody down and tear them apart. Peter inspired us to crave spiritual milk, and that's, you know, for me, it's, it's a desire to have prayer and to talk to the Lord and a desire to read his word and to know his word and not just have book knowledge of his word in my life, but the application of applying it to my life, of whether however I speak to my wife or I speak to my kids or I'm at work or I'm in the target or I'm wherever that I'm at, that those spiritual gifts are starting to come out with me. Why? Because I have his word hidden in my heart that I may not sin against him. And that's what the desire for Peter is. And again, as we've talked about it, Peter, just a maturing man, and he's getting to the end part of his life, and he has learned just so much through his life of the ups and downs and the excitement that he has and his ability and his desires to serve the Lord. He's coming to a point where he's able to really minister to people and to be able to teach with authority the Word of God. And so as we move into verse 4, it says, as you come to him, and I want to stop there, as you come to him, you know, Pastor Zach talked this weekend, and he, he spoke on Matthew chapter 5. For those of you who weren't here, he says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came up to him, and he began to teach them. And I actually heard this, uh, Pastor Joe Foshop in Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, he um, heard a message of his years ago at this point. And he was just talking about how, you know, they would come up on the mountainside and Pastor Zach talked about that and how he would sit down, the, the disciples would stand around him. And, and it was a point where Pastor Joe Foch even mentioned even more that, you know, as Jesus saw that there was a need there, he moves up the mountain to talk to them. And that some people probably looked at it and said, I'm not climbing up that mountain. That's, that's, I'm tired, it's hot, I'm just not going to go up there. Some people maybe got about halfway and were like, hey, this is good enough. I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at. But the disciples went all the way up to where Jesus was to listen to him. And the same thing can be applied to either the world, if you want to look at the world. The same thing can be applied to us personally. Of, of where are you at within your relationship with the Lord? Are you at a point in your life where you're just like, you know what, I'm just, I've got enough of Christ today. I'm just going to go and do something else this evening. Maybe you get up half the way and then you start realizing the cost that is being invoked on your life and you start saying, I, I, I'm just going to stop here. I don't, I don't want to give any more to the Lord. I don't want to give up anymore. I, I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm just, I'm here. But we're a Wednesday night crowd and 
you're here on a Wednesday night. So unless somebody dragged you here, hopefully you're, you've climbed up the mountain. You've climbed up the hill to be able to hear what the Lord has said to you. But see, it's not just on a Wednesday night, it's tomorrow morning when you get up. You know, if I was gonna tell you that Christ was gonna be there for breakfast with you tomorrow morning at six, what would you do tonight? What would you do tomorrow morning? I can guarantee you your alarm wouldn't be set at 6.30. Probably be at 5.15, something like that. You have some bagels, some locks out. You gotta have some fish there for him and coffee, tea. You'd have the different spread of whatever that he might wanna drink. But you would be there ready for him. And then you know what I'm gonna say is that Jesus will be there tomorrow morning at six. And he's waiting for you to sit there and to get up in the morning and to, with sleepy eyes, to open up his word and to to seek him and to read his word. And Lord, what, what is it that you have for me today? Not a verse that I might share with somebody else later. I mean, that, that's nice, but, but God, I, I, need, I need some spiritual food here. I need to be able to I'd seek you and to understand that there are things in my life that I need to get better and I need to get back on track and I, I, need, your, I need your word to be able to come into me and, and convict me and purify me. I want that spiritual milk this morning. So when Peter says something like this and he says, as, I, as you come to him, that's what he's implying. As, as we approach this Bible study, as we approach the word of God, as we, as we go in prayer, as we go to communion later, the desire for you guys to have an opportunity for a couple songs to be able to come and worship before the Lord is to bring your hearts to God and take that time and truly seek him. And, and if your spouse is here with you or a good friend is here with you, take time to pray together and, and just offer that time to the Lord as you seek him. And Peter continues to move on and he says, as I seek, as, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. We see three descriptions of Christ here from God's perspective is, as he looks at him and, and God says he, he's, he is the living stone. And so we've kind of talked about this a little bit, the living part of why that's so important to us, again, is, is that he's alive. Christ's bones are not in that grave. Remember, they moved the stone. There was nothing inside there. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And so that's the important part. The living stone, the stone here is, it's not the same word that Peter is, is used about Peter because Peter was a rock, okay? Peter was a rock, but Christ is a stone, He's something that's more substantial. He's stronger. It's a reference to Psalm 118, 22, and we see it in verse 7 of, of Acts 4, which we have kind of talked about a couple times at this point, but we'll pick it up in verse 8, and it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. So see, what they're under is they're under attack because they healed somebody. And they're like, ah, you can't do that. You know, that's just wrong. And so he's like, hey, if we did something kind and that's what we're under, under trial here for, then, then know this. You and everyone else in Israel, it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And this man stands before you completely healed. He is the stone, talking about Jesus. He is the stone you builders rejected which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man which must be saved. Again, the capstone here is, 
It's, it's the uppermost stone in a building. It's typically between two intersecting walls together. And as the top of the stone or the structure point, the capstone was like the crowning point. Okay, so it's the crowning point. It's, it's where everything is joined, whether it's the cornerstone that's on the ground and everything comes together and that's where they base everything off of, or it's the crowning stone. It's the, it's the point where everything comes together up here. He says, look, this was rejected by humans. You guys rejected him. This, this unbelievably important part, either the capstone or the, the cornerstone of what we're building everything on, but guess what? God glorified it. God looked at Christ and said, look, you're gonna reject him, but guess what? He, he's glorified. Why? Because he's, he's my son. We also see here, he said that he is also chosen by God. And so you guys should know this word by now because we've talked about this one again a couple times. We saw it back in verse two of, of, of chapter one. It's, it's the same word as, as elect. It's the same word that we use there. It says, God chose Christ from before time to be the savior of the world. And again, we've talked about that when we opened up in chapter one, the first two verses of the first message about it. it wasn't just the fact that God saw that it was gonna happen. Okay, we use that kind of theology at times as well too. It's like that God chose him and had foreknowledge of it. That he, that he chose him. Like it was going to happen whether Christ made that decision. It was going to happen. God knew it and God chose him to do it. He says, he was my capstone. He's my elect. And he's also precious to me. And precious here is, is held honor. It's, it's due to high status. So God looks at Jesus, the second part of the, of the Trinity, and he says, I hold him in high status because I care for him that much that he's just precious to me. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, moving on to verse five, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, in verse five, he moves to, to we too. It's, it's us. We too are, are like living stones. We're being built into a spiritual house. And, and again, the spiritual house, it's, it's not a building. It's not like the church that we have here. It's not the four walls or how many walls are in this church. It's, it's not talking about that. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual house. Well, I had the curiosity then. It was like, what are some of the, the, the temples and spiritual houses that we've had so far? So some of the buildings that we've had, it was the original one. It's the tent in the desert when Moses and the Israelites, you guys know the story, Israelites come out of Egypt Okay, they get rescued, they move out. And so God finally says, hey, look, in Exodus 25, 8, 9, he says to them, he says, hey, make me a sanctuary. Make me a place where I can be amongst you guys. And we're gonna like set up the rules of how I wanna do everything. We're gonna set up this, these things. and he starts giving out a list of things, of things that I want inside there. I want some showbread, I want candles, and I want, we're gonna build this ark that we're gonna have, and we're gonna have this veil that it's gonna be behind. And then we're gonna have another veil so that everybody can kind of work here, and then we're going to have the area out here where everybody else can be. But this is, this is the first temple that we're going to set up. And it's movable, and you guys have read the story, and they've got it up on poles, and they've got linens and everything, and, and it's, it's really heavy. I mean, I think we have an idea that, oh, they just kind of broke it down like today, like the tent, you know, you just push it like this, and everything goes in one little thing, and you throw it on the top of the SUV, and you get driving down the, in the desert to the next place that you're going to go to. It wasn't like that at all. I mean, each, each family had a job that they were supposed to do and they were responsible for. And, he, and the cool thing I love about when you read this, and I know everybody doesn't like Exodus and Leviticus and we've talked about that, but it's really cool because God, what he does is he infuses people with, with just knowledge. Like there's people who've never worked with gold before and it says, and God gave him the ability to work with the gold. 
And they just start crafting stuff, you know? Like if you've ever watched that show, Forged by Fire, you know, so there's history, no, no guys that are like, there you go, thank you. Thank you very much. So the rest of you, it's this cool show in history where they take iron and they like have a smelter and they just sit there and like bang stuff and they use all this weird stuff to make really cool stuff. And um, I've never done any of that stuff before, okay? So, but it looks really cool. And so it's, so God just gives these people this ability to make things. Why? Because it was his temple that he wanted. Not because had, God had to have it. I said, I just want to be with you. And I want to have a place to be able to come in here. And then I don't want you guys to be able to offer sacrifices to me. And we're going to set this thing up. And so that's what they do. That's the original one. Well, then at some point, David comes along, and this is many years later at this point, and we have Solomon's temple, which is amazing. It's, 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 it was just absolutely beautiful of what they had done. And so David is looking out, you guys know King David and the life that he lived. And he's like, man, Lord, you have just blessed me incredibly. I'm just going to build you a temple. I'm just, I'm just going to do this. And then God comes in and says, look, you, you, you can't. I, thank you. I, it's really kind that you want to do that, but you're just a man of war and you've got blood on your hands. And I just, I don't want you to do that, but we're going to have your son do it. So David doesn't lose heart. He's still fired up about this. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do then? I'm going to get everything ready. I'm going to have the plans ready for my son. And we're going to start getting all the, the materials together. And so he starts getting all the materials together. And then Solomon comes along and he makes just the temple of temples for the Lord. And so again, so what they do is for both of these temples, and so again, it's a place where God comes and the ark is in there, and this is where the Holy of Holies is. And so the, they have the priests that come out, and so they're doing, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, there's, there's actually blood sacrifice. And so there's animals that are coming in there, and so probably the priesthood would be a little bit different today. I can't say that I would be up here if that was my job, okay, to have just blood everywhere. I don't think I could do that, you know, 24-7. That would be a little rough. Um, so I'd probably would be with the grain side, maybe cooking up something, but you know, it's a little weird when they start talking about, you know, just sprinkling the blood and all this other stuff that would be, I mean, they say it's a different time zone and all and different society, but that would still sounds a little weird to me, but, but, but maybe he would have changed my mind if it was on my heart. So anyway, so the Lord does this. And so what he does is he just this amazing thing. And so these priests are there and they're just serving the Lord. And as you can see already that there's just, it's just about the works and it's about the flesh, and it's about all these things that they can build that the Lord has commanded them to do. And so what the Lord says is, I want to do something even better than that. And in the first, first Corinthians 6, 19, it's, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago too, that as you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and he resides in you. And so as he continues to take that spot within you and he, he works you in your, through your life and all, well, you've got the, you're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? First of all, it means physically you probably should take pretty good care of yourself because God is here and you want to take care of your body and, and things like that. And, and so you want to make sure that you do that. You want to watch the things that you watch on TV or that you listen to or the jokes that you laugh to. Again, all these things have to do with the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's no longer it's a building, and it's no longer about the things that we're doing, but it's, but it's us. And, and we've become that spiritual house. And we are the church. And as, as Pastor Carl talks about it all the time, it's just that, that we are that part. And again, if it's a puzzle that's up there, again, what is the piece of the puzzle that you are to be a part of that church? Ephesians 2.19 and uh, through 22, it's in the New Living Translation. You'll see it up on the screen. It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. 
You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family, and together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Again, going back to all the people in the Old Testament. So again, we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how, how important it is for you to understand your Old Testament to be able to understand, understand what we're doing in the New Testament, okay? So you can't just be a New Testament church, you have to be a Bible church. So again, it's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, the Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So again, so as we have become that temple of the Holy Spirit, where, where God works in us and through us, we are that church. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He says, Peter wrote this letter to believers in five different provinces, yet he said they belong to one spiritual house. So again, it's not a point where we, we have all these different thoughts and all these different things. We are one church. We are one faith. So again, it doesn't matter if, if I go to this church or I go to this church and I go, well, great, we are the church though. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Or the, I mean, there's certain foundations obviously that we have to have within that church. But do I care if you lift your hands and somebody doesn't lift their hands? That's a non, it doesn't really matter. What I care is what is your heart behind what you're trying to do? To be a holy priesthood, the next thing that we are, we are to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And again, like I mentioned before, it's the old priesthood would offer blood sacrifices and they would have grain sacrifices and burnt offerings and, and they would present this to the Lord. And, and some of that sounds really good because you're like, if there's meat burning on the grill, it sounds pretty good. And there's, there's, there's cooking, you know, different flour stuff. I mean, that sounds great. But again, it's, it's an all of an act of things that we have to do. It's the blood sacrifice. It's just blood everywhere. And there's just animal carcasses. And I mean, it's, it's a whole different side of it. But we are now a holy priesthood through the blood of Christ. See, again, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that comes and just transforms us, that just washes away your, blood, your, your sin as far as the east is to the west. Again, something that an animal was never able to accomplish. The animal was never meant to do that. What the animal did is it showed the importance of the understanding to you of the sin that you were committing. Because of the sin I desired to commit, this animal has to die just to cover so the Lord doesn't see it. And so what God does is then he brings along Jesus and the blood sacrifice becomes the perfect sacrifice. But we are now a holy priesthood through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about being holy last week and how the importance of that within your own life is, is to make sure that understanding again with the sacrifice that Jesus did for our sin. So just as it was important for them to understand that, that this animal has to die for that sin, Jesus had to die for whatever that sin that you're committing. Again, there's an importance of being holy so that I live a certain lifestyle and so people can see that and they can see the works within me and they see the lifestyle that I'm living. But more importantly, I have to look at my Savior and understand Jesus, you didn't die for that. I mean, Kevin does enough stupid stuff that, that it, again, it's not a point of whether I'm going to sin. I'm, I'm going to sin. But I don't need to purpose to find sin to do for Christ to die for that. Again, it's living a holy life. 
and our offerings are spiritual. And so we give a praise for all that he has done as would be part of that. So again, it's, it's not the, the physical as far as the, the, the praise and our offerings that we're giving, but we're giving spiritual gifts as far as him. We're giving him praise and worship and we're giving him um, our lives. You know, we talked about in Romans 12, one, it says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, we mentioned that a week or two ago, and it's a point of, it's not the, the fact that I'm going to die for Christ physically, and we talked about that, that, that would probably be easy because you're like, what's the worst happens is I get to go to heaven. But the spiritual worship of that is, I'm going to live to die to you every single day. Is that when I wake up in the morning and, and, and there's a hard conversation that I have or there's something that I have to do or I just have to live a godly life. Lord, I'm going to do that. And why do I do that? Because it's the only thing I have to give to you. I can't give you money and I can't give you cars or buildings or whatever, but Lord, I, I give you my life. And then you're the one who transforms it and uses it however you want. Some of you know, I mean, there's been changes that have gone on in Christina's life the last three, four years and just a desire to understand that there's a, there's a desire for to me to, to follow certain things that God's called me to do. And well, within that, then there comes sacrifice. There's personal sacrifice. But again, are you, are you willing to follow into the call of what you believe the Lord has done? Or are you going to just not climb up the mountain and stay at the bottom? Well, Lord, no, because again, I want to offer my life to you. I want to give it to you. That's the spiritual worship that you can give. Moves on in verse six. It says, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a, a stone in Zion, a, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone is the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Verse six is just a, it's a quote from him, from Peter, as far as Isaiah 28, 16, and he moves on in verse seven, it says precious here, and it's again the second time that we've seen precious as, as God used the description for God in verse four, and God says that he was precious due to his high status. We praise him because he's the one who is judged, who's worthy for what we are going to offer. See, we look at it as a different way. We don't look at it as the high status. We look at Jesus and say that he is, he's the one that's worthy for our worship. There's nobody else that, that I would know that would be able to fit in that, you know, whether it's LeBron James who had chosen one on the back of his tattooed on the back or whatever. Like, am I gonna really worship LeBron James because he can shoot baskets? Well, no, I wanna worship somebody who can wash away my sin. But to those who don't believe, well, those who don't believe, the stone builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And again, this is a quote from Psalm 118, 22. And, and again, it's unbelievers rejecting Christ. Well, unbelievers reject Christ. You'll hear that all the time with your friends or your family or some guy yelling at you in Target or online or whatever it is. And, and they, they reject Christ. Why? Because they, everybody's rejected Christ. The spiritual people of the time rejected Christ. They refused to look at him because he didn't fit within the shell of what they wanted. 
It's not a new thing that, you know, again, as we look at it, we're under, under such tribulation. Are we really under that much tribulation? I mean, you go back to this time when Peter's writing to this, this group of people, I mean, that's amazing tribulation that they're going under. I mean, the struggles that they had and, and the, the loss of life that they had, I mean, it was just, it was really difficult to be a Christian at that time. And as Peter comes alongside of them and is trying to encourage them, and he's telling them, like, look, I understand there are unbelievers out there. Well, the unbelievers, are there, they're there because, well, they just, they just didn't understand what Christ was trying to do for them. And the stone builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And again, back then, there was the, what they would do is they would, the builders would build stuff because there were stones everywhere, and, and it was very easy to come by. And so, um, actually, Christine and I are trying to go to Israel this next year, so I'll let you know if there's still stones there. Um, but um, so... Hopefully there still is. But um, there's stones everywhere. So what they would do is they would just use these stones to build things. So they would take their tools and they would they'd chop it and try to get to the right size that they wanted to. So as they go to fit it, if it didn't fit, well, they would just reject it. They would just throw it away. Why? Because, well, there's lots of stones around here. I can just pick up another one to kind of work on it. And God says what they, what they discarded, what they didn't want to use, when well, he said, I put it in a position of glory. I used the thing that they didn't want to use and I put it in this position. It's become my cornerstone. Verse eight is Isaiah eight fourteen, and it's a stone that causes, some, causes people to stumble in a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Well, unbelievers, well, they also, they stumble and they fall. They stumble because, and Lexicon put it this really well, it says to have recoiled from Jesus as the one who failed to meet their ideals of the, of the Messiah. So as they looked upon him, they said, that doesn't meet exactly what I was looking for. You know, well, one, probably because I'm still wanting the power, and if I admit that he's the Messiah, then I lose my power. But, you know, we're looking for something different in our Messiah. I'm not going to look at the scripture right now. Well, then they fall. What's, again, at the lexicon put this really well. It says, figuratively applied to Jesus Christ, whose person and career were so contrary to the expectations of the Jews concerning the Messiah that they rejected him and their obstinacy made shipwreck of their salvation. So again, you'll see that either back then or you'll see it today as well too, where people will look at Jesus and think, well, I'm gonna have to give up control of my life to God. I'm gonna have to look at Jesus and I'm gonna have to give up the desires of, my, of what my own personal flesh are because I'm gonna have to submit to God. And because of those thoughts and because of the things that they're looking at, well, that shipwrecks their faith because it doesn't fit within the mold of what they want. Again, today we don't want truth. We don't want pure truth. Everybody has their own truth. Well, we all know that that's not truth. Truth is truth. There's, there's only one truth. You can have an idea, you can have a thought, you can have a want, you can have a dream, you can have fill in the blank, but there's still only truth. And whether you want to look at Christ and say, well, I only like part of it, but I'm not gonna take the rest. Well, it doesn't work that way. Why? Because now you're lukewarm and he just wants to spew you from his mouth. I think God says, I want you either hot or cold. Why? Because if you're hot for me, I can use you and you're, you're on fire and let's go. And if you're cold, that means that you probably are at one of the lowest parts in your life and you have really nowhere else to look but to me. And then I will be the one that will come in and save you. I will be the one that comes into your life and to meet the needs that you know that you truly have. Because of this denial of the message, the result is it's a life without him. 
And it, it's just kind of weird, Mandalorian's on tonight, maybe that's why, but it says here, it says they stumble because they disobey him, which is also what they were destined for. If you're a Star Wars fan, you heard Darth Vader say, this is your destiny. <laughs> took a second, took a second. <laughs> it's on tonight. But it's their destiny. It's a destiny because it's a choice that they made. Again, it, it's, it's not because of how great that we are, that we are saved. I'm nothing. But because you've rejected the cornerstone, you've rejected Christ, you've rejected everything that he wants to do for you in life, you've rejected a God that has made you and has provided for you, then it's your destiny to not be able to walk with him. Verse nine and 10, and to me, I feel like tonight we finally finished the, the introduction to First Peter is what it kind of feels like. But verse nine, and it kind of sums it up for me. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just to kind of fill in the blanks here, it says in verse nine, it says, but you are a chosen and you guys should know this word again from verse 1-1 one, one, and from 2-4, it says, but you were elect, you were elected, you were chosen by God, you were a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood. And we recall this back in verse five of chapter two here. You're a holy nation. Again, he's writing to five different regions within Turkey, bringing them all together under a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Tonight, you are his property. You're his prized possession. You are the apple of God's eye. He loves you immensely. That you may declare his praises, to make him known. Do we get to go out and to make Christ known? We get to celebrate the fact of what he's done in our lives. Of him who called you out of the darkness, for some of that you guys that got saved later in life, you understand the darkness that you were walking in. I had referenced that a couple weeks ago, just, you know, if you had thought you were having fun in a bar before and then you went to that bar later on after you were saved and you realized how bright it was actually in that bar now, how dark actually the people were as far as their attitudes, their personalities. I mean, the darkness that God saved you from into his wonderful light. It's the saving truth of Jesus Christ and it's his love for us. That's his wonderful light. It's the fact that, that God came into our life and Jesus came and saved us and that we have a new perspective on life and the things that we're doing and the things that we're going to do and the things that we can do. All because of his light. Verse nine should be like something that you just get you fired up like you need to, you're down one day and you just need to read that verse but once you were not a people, but now you are the people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Back in chapter one, verse three and four, I brought it back to that and it just says, Peter opening up at the first chapter, it says, praise be to the God, the Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, and never fade. Because of what he has done, that now we have an inheritance and now we're part of the family of God. And because now what he has done, we, we are now at peace with God. We're no longer at enemies with God. We're no longer in a, in a fight with the Lord. And not that, again, that we could ever manage some kind of fight against him, but there is now peace between the two of us. We understand now that our debt has been paid and that we have an inheritance in heaven that, that we are just solely waiting for, for, again, for Christ to be able to pull back that veil and to announce to the world that he is back. And at that moment, then you receive your inheritance and we get to go to heaven, free from our sin, free from the things that we have done. Where we are living and breathing temple. You are a living and breathing temple. So as you go back out into the world, it's no longer, you're not in a desert where we're built, putting up our tent and put, tearing it back down and that we're gonna walk around in it through life. But again, it's nothing that's so splendorous as whatever Solomon had made and, and, and the gold that he had and, and all the timber and everything. But we're a royal priesthood. And I would think again that as the Lord looks at you, there's nothing more beautiful than what he has created in you. And that he looks at you and wants you just to commit to him and, and to give me your life. Allow me to use you to the fullest extent that I desire to. And shed off the things of this world and, and shed off the, the desires and the plans that you have. And, and again, it doesn't mean that you have to sell everything and give up your life and just aimlessly walk around and just tell people Bible verses, okay? Maybe, I don't know if that might be you, but it could mean that you still have that really nice car and that really nice house and that you get to minister to those people in that area. Maybe it is that you have to sell things and move to another country. But again, God would give you the desire, right? He would make the desire of your heart and you would be thrilled to walk away from whatever he's called you to do. Why? Because again, he wants you holy so that he can use you to give him glory. Amen.